0: Austin Found is sponsored by the LBJ Presidential Library on the UT campus. As you think about presidential politics these days, learn about our 36th president, Lyndon Johnson, and his wife, Ladybird Johnson. Go to lbjlibrary.org. <music> Literally, an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun
1: about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places.
0: This is the Austin Found Podcast. I'm J.B. Hager, joined by statesman, writer, and Austin story collector. Michael Barnes. And today we get to hear about one of Austin's
1: most famous war heroes. That's right. And he was forgotten for many, many years. He uh, was the second most decorated American veteran in World War I. And the first most decorated you probably heard of. Because that's Sergeant York. And they made an Academy Award winning movie of his life. Nobody made a movie of Buck Simpson's life.
0: Alfred Robert Buck
1: Simpson. Buck Simpson. That's a perfect name for him, too.
0: It sounds like he's a bit of a pisser, before and after the
1: war. He was a character. He (laughs) was a character. He was a cedar chopper, and he lived on the land and off the land, and he never had an education, and he never really got used to city ways. When they wanted to lionize him after World War One, here, they gave him all these opportunities, and he didn't want them. He, he walked away from it all.
0: And I know you talked mostly to his granddaughter, obviously, uh, yes. but it, it, Darlene uh, Freitag is, mm-hmm. is her name. But why was he such a decorated hero? What happened? In the, did you get many details on what happened during the war?
1: Not a lot of details. There were contemporary newspapers that I uh, went back and looked at. Basically, it was near the end of the war, and it was a big battle. And uh, against orders, he captured a German uh, machine gun and killed a lot of Germans. And that's how you got medals back then. You would kill, kill a lot of Germans. Mm-hmm. And uh, so various different countries gave him their highest honors. Yeah, I, and, yeah, that was
0: something that I had never been aware of, that other countries will give out similar awards for your heroism. Well,
1: the, the, because the, the companies were mixed, you'd have allies from France and Britain and so forth. Uh, all fighting in the same trenches. So those countries, grateful countries, uh, would give out uh, awards too.
0: And I know as you spent time, again, with his granddaughter, Darlene, she still has a lot of these Oh, yeah. She oh, has she has them, them, very, them, and, she had them
1: very well organized. They yeah. said had because she passed away. She had not only Bucks medals, but also her her cousins and her uncles and all their decorations from... Uh, World War II and the Korean War, so she was very, very good at saving the family history, and I hope somebody else is doing it now. So it seems wild to me to think you—you
0: know—you're one of the most, again, second most decorated uh, <laughs> veteran from
1: uh, World War One. You come back home and you get into trouble. Yes. Oh, yeah. Again and again and again and again. again. <laughs> so they get, throw him a parade, and then they say, "Hey, we're going to give you an education," and then he. He finally says, I didn't want to be in a room with a bunch of little smart kids. So apparently, by giving him an education, I think they sent him to first grade. He's a grown man. right? Um, But then so they gave him a job, and the job was to guard the state capitol. And he just would walk off in in the middle of the day because he didn't didn't know how to tell time. And so he'd go to a cafe and tell old fishing and hunting stories like a cedar chopper would. And ended up shooting out all the lights in the, in the Capitol grounds. Uh, and he got in trouble <laughs> for fighting later as well. And also in the 1950s, and his daughter didn't even know this. I dug this up. He went to a federal penitentiary for a check, for kiting a check. Now, we think today we go, oh, well, you didn't have enough money in your account. Mm-hmm. Just go put some money in your account. But back then, if you wrote a hot check, that meant you were counterfeiting, essentially. Okay, and he was in cahoots with a couple of other guys, and ended up a, sh- a brief stay in prison. But he spent actually much of the, his later years just uh, kind of hanging out on the land and, and hunting and fishing. It sounds
0: like the families all knew each other. It, it, it's a s- small place, Los. I know. There. <laughs> you keep finding that out. I know. Yeah, but and, but it was it was different immigrants coming together. Sure. Sure, Le- a lot of people forget there or don't know
1: a lot of Lebanese influence a lot of in the city. Her, her father was uh, Lebanese, and we'll get to that. Start with his main heritage, which was the Scots-Irish uh, cedar choppers, and we should explain what that means. They were came down, immigrated down from the Appalachia and the Ozarks, and they were hillbillies, and they lived out in the hill country up until just a few years ago. And in fact, a lot of the places in town that we think of as being very posh like Westlake Hills was all hillbillies and (laughs) up until living memory. And so, and they were called cedar choppers because they would go into the cool deep canyons and cut down these ancient cedars or junipers. We think of the scrubby little things we see on the side of the road, Mm -hmm. but they grew for, for generations in these canyons and it was some of the best fence posting in the Southwest. Mm -hmm. So, they would cut those down and trim them, In one a cedar post would feed a family for a week. And they would bring them into the cedar yards. And, in fact, Cedar hmm. Park, our suburb, Cedar Park, is named after the multiple cedar yards that had their... And then they would exp- export them around the, the the because they're especially strong and also the resin in them resist insects and other pests.
0: That's interesting you say that because growing up here we thought everyone from Cedar Park was a hillbilly, <laughs> and, and look how look at look how posh that place. Yeah, is. Yeah,
1: now, now it's, right? it's changed as well. But the the, <laughs> the way they made their living also was all of them would have a corn patch, and a corn patch would do three things: it would feed their hogs, which are all running around free it would uh, make their cornbread which was the kind of when they said bread they meant cornbread but it also would make their moonshine which was not only entertaining for them but they sold that in the city sometimes they were living the life of the beverly hillbillies or whatever <laughs> they they were living fine you yeah. know they'd come in the city and they'd go see a movie at the paramount or they'd have dinner at mottie's and Maudie's back then was not a Tex-Mex restaurant it was a diner And the the original Mahdi's over there on uh, Lake Austin Boulevard is still there, but they would come across the river on the low water crossing at Redbud Island and gather there at at Mahdi's. That was the Cedar Chopper hangout. Really? Yeah. Well, there weren't any restaurants (laughs) in the country, so they'd come into the edge of town.
0: Wow, now it's all soccer moms trying to have a margarita while their kids are running around.
1: (laughs) But the other families that were involved, Irish, uh, Catholic in Uh, German which is where she got the German surname Freitag and and they're always a huge part of our our cultural heritage and the Lebanese Americans who came over in the 1890s and early 20th century uh, trying to escape the oppression of the Ottoman Empire many of them were Christians, some Maronites some Orthodox and they were very much into retail and into running bars and clubs and the names are all going to be familiar to you because they're still doing that now the the Jabours, the atolls, the you know the are twin liquors twin liquors and yeah. the atolls who are involved in all kinds of different things yeah. uh, uh, the art business, antique business, the club business, Charles Atoll yeah, one of the Charlie's from C3 C3 right Wow right. so they, yep. they were a, a very active community and and this family also was was connected with them.
0: I love the old n- names and, and places references and Darlene's mother ran a little barbecue joint in
1: way we East Austin the
0: yes. they get it and go.
1: The get it and go <laughs> and it was on the very end of East 6th Street which is it, people don't go down that far because it kind of ends it just ends abruptly uh currently but it was out in the country essentially. And then Darlene had her own little retail business in there and she was selling all kinds of little memorabilia and yeah her father, the Lebanese American uh, man, was a gambler mm-hmm. as his living, you know. and as she said, you know he won sometimes and lost a lot. <laughs> Austin Found is brought to you by the LBJ
0: Presidential Library. more info at lbjlibrary.org. You know, the history of Austin is is very divided and segregated, but these references keep coming up that maybe one whole area wasn't all black and one area wasn't all Hispanic.
1: And even the era of segregation was not very long, and I don't mean to ever, ever diminish the negative uh, impact of segregation, but really the era of segregation... Lasted about 40 years from uh, not about 1928 when they put in the, the urban plan or approved the urban plan. It was never a law. And then to 1968 with the Fair Housing Ordinance. And so at that time you had what was called the Negro District to the north, central, east Austin. And then uh, um, the Latinos gathered between 7th Street and, and um, the river. But those areas were not strictly. People of color. There were a lot of the other marginalized people, like the, the new uh, Chinese American families, Lebanese American families, and others, would end up. And, and for a long time, a lot of the, of the Swedish and Scottish families and German families who had lived on the east side, going way, way back, remained there. So it wasn't always strictly segregated.
0: Now, back to Buck Simpson.
1: Right. Uh, he had a nickname Grandpa Bucket. Oh, that's what his daughter, Darlene, called him because she was tasked with getting up early and, and making coffee and serving the family coffee. And he, he, she came in and go, Grandpa, do you want some coffee? And he goes, bring me buckets and buckets of it. And so from that point on, he was Grandpa Bucket.
0: Again, I kind of laughed because in, in the last episode, I... I Pointed out that Montopolis Bridge must have been the hangout. (laughs) Grandpa Bucket also enjoyed hanging out under the Montopolis.
1: Well, it's a good fishing spot. (laughs) It's even really—it
0: still is to this day, by the way. If if you're below the dams, right, uh, it must be deeper there than other spots on the Colorado. Actually, you know
1: what is attractive is that it's shower, and that you can get down to it, Mm -hmm. and and you can cross it there. You know, even. Unless they're letting water out of the dam. Right, right. Uh, You can walk right across. It remains a little uh, perfection of rural life right in the middle of the city.
0: Can I throw out some of
1: your other references
0: of what people did at the the time? Is Grandpa Bucket's wife, Nora, Mm -hmm. which was she was Irish Catholic descent.
1: Which was unusual for the cedar choppers to marry into the Irish Catholics. And ran a dairy. Yeah. Where would that dairy have been? would have been north actually the whole city was ringed by dairies and when you think about it you needed milk and you didn't have universal refrigerations The dairy farms had to be really close to the Mm. customers and so you know where green pastures was was a dairy crestview was a dairy and her dairy was north but they were all within easy distance to get into the city to sell the milk and there were processing plants in the city you know Dairies were a very common way to use the land close to the city limits.
0: Hmm. Buck Simpson lived till the year of 1969. That's right. At the age of 73, he passed away and made reference to that he lived long enough Mm -hmm. to see the moon landing. That's right. Right? I mean, he... You think
1: about a World War I technology. Somebody who was born before airplanes and got to live long enough to see the moon landing. Wow.
0: And a great championship season for the Longhorns. (laughs) I don't think he wouldn't have made it to the championship game, though. But he did not get to see that season, I'm guessing, if he was a Longhorn So when did he die? Uh, It was in 1969. Oh, that's right. But the the championship game would have been early 70, right? Okay. (laughs) I ended up getting on Google Earth. Right. Because Buck Simpson was buried
1: in a cemetery, Mm -hmm. which is in Barton Creek. It's in the Barton Creek Valley. It's near Cuernavaca Road, which is my landmark out there. Mm -hmm. Lots of interesting things are hidden in those hills. Like, for instance, one of the Nike missile sites was there. And you can still see the remains of that there. Uh, Actually, one of the missiles is set up close to there but not where the, the actual missile site was.
0: Give everybody kind of the, the your best visualization of where this cemetery exists, of where, you know. I think it's fa- if somebody would be fascinated enough to go um, go see this headstone right, right, of where right. this war hero was. Well, uh, you go
1: out twenty two twenty two, and it's it's going to be a left turn. And more than that right now, I can't tell mm-hmm. you. I mean, uh, it's um, well beyond one world theater and... Out, out in that oh, out BK is twenty two forty four. Oh, twenty two
0: forty four. Out BK is yeah, yeah, yeah. and off of Cuernavaca ish. Cuernavaca. Right? I did also. I searched. You know, you can search headstones. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Of course, you would know that. Yeah. But there's some. There's a lot of sites that have been documenting oh and my making gosh, headstones yeah. searchable. And I found that. And it also led me to see that this cemetery had been made a, a landmark in 2001. Mm-hmm. Right. So nothing will
1: happen. And here's to the them. thing to remember about these: this is the family plot. You can go there even if it's on private land. That's Texas law. The landowner has to make a cemetery available to people. Obviously, if it's deep onto somebody's property, you want to get their permission. But they they have to make it accessible. And-
0: from looking again at, at the satellite view, it mm-hmm. looks like there's a little dirt road going in under the trees. Right. But, I mean, we're talking 100 feet from homes. Right, right. That are all around there who probably have no idea They're this, this war right. heroes yeah. behind them.
1: Exactly, isn't that wild? It is, and it's it's true all over town. Yeah, there are little cemeteries in neighborhoods all over town. If anywhere where you live, the earliest cemetery, Oakwood, uh, eighteen thirty nine, is was the, the only big organized cemetery for a very long time, and it's over in the east side, as well as the Texas State Cemetery, a few blocks away. Um, Most people were buried in a family cemetery, and those are still there. And you know, I I, several places where I've lived in Austin, there was a family cemetery in somebody's backyard or in a little park. Yeah, it's wild
0: to uh, connect the dots, read these stories, and then think, "There, well, there's
1: their headstone right right here." It's I love, and and that's a great thing about the internet is about how. All those things now are so easy to find. Yeah, we can find out a lot of information just by putting in somebody's name and maybe the year of their birth or death, and it'll pop up right away.
0: Michael, thank you very much. This story about uh, Buck Simpson, the decorated war hero, mm-hmm. is in Volume 3, which... Uh, of Indelible
1: Austin. Indelible Austin. You've got to three... pick that up.
0: And if, why would you get 3 and not 1 and 2? I know!
1: <laughs> <laughs> and people were giving them as gifts this year as 3. I mean, there was one customer who bought... Thirty sets, So that's 90 books. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I signed all 90 books. Like for all for their
0: employees or something? Probably. Small company?
1: Oh, that's cool. That's very,
0: very cool. Uh, you can always catch Michael's columns in Austin Found and Think Texas. <laughs> you probably want to subscribe to this newsletter if it's, you it. It's these. a
1: weekly newsletter. It comes out on Tuesday. It has about 25 different elements to it, and it is free, free, free. <laughs> And pass on to your friends to subscribe
0: to Austin Found Podcast, wherever they get their podcasts. That's and right. we'd love your feedback. M. Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S, at statesman.com or J. Hager, H-A-G-E-R, at statesman.com.